Does God have someone that he wants us to talk to and share our story with and be open to talking about him with? And see, all of us, it may not be David, it may be somebody like that. It may be a neighbor, maybe somebody we work with, maybe a family member that we're supposed to talk to. We want to sit with this because, you know, a lot of times um, I think we underestimate the power of an authentic sharing of our heart. I think we, we allow ourselves to be maybe intimidated by how we exactly say it and maybe how we're living our lives. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, and I'm, in my own self too, you know, why, why sometimes we won't talk about the Lord? And I know some, you know, I hear somebody say, well, you know, I just, I just kind of want to live it. Um, you know, it's kind of awkward. I feel, feel odd at saying anything about it. I, feel, I might be, I fear, I fear what people are going to think about me, maybe. I'm going to misunderstand. Um, sometimes, some of, I know sometimes people are, feel like, well, you know, I don't want to get put in a box. So I don't want to, you know, show, show this side, maybe. Other times, it's, I don't know if I'll say it right. Or then there's other things like, you know, my life's, I got problems. And I'm not sure that if, if I were to share it, it, it just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if, I, if I'm really at a point where I'm qualified to even talk about Jesus, it, we, sometimes we're very aware of our own struggles. But here's the deal. There's not a one of us here who's following Jesus that doesn't have some struggle. That's just, there, there is only one perfect one. And at best, the rest of us are trying to um, follow in his steps, and we do it imperfectly. And we are filled with contradictions. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not giving us an out. I'm not saying how we live doesn't matter. I'm not suggesting that we don't contend for growth or to live a biblically informed life. And then we're going to talk about that in a moment. But what I am saying is people, people need to hear other people talk about the Lord. I mean, you know, look, what's the name of our series? It's called Shine. It's, um, it has a subtitle, doesn't it? Sharing Jesus Naturally. It's based around the idea that one of the most natural things we do when we actually have been really touched by the Lord is we want to talk about it with someone. We want to share it. You know what? When we love somebody, we're not ashamed of them. When we really love someone and we, we're proud of them, we're okay letting it be known. And I, th- I think sometimes it's, what we're saying is it's the natural thing to do. Jesus said, you know, your, your life in me is like a light that um, I've given you. And, and I want you to be not someone who takes this light that I've given you and, and hide it underneath a basket because that's not what a light's for. A light makes things illuminated. Think about this whole idea of shining. It's external, isn't it? It has to do with out. It's not simply kept inside. It's meant to be lived out. Light um, creates beauty. And um, if, if people who love Jesus and who've been touched by him don't talk about him, then who will? It's important that people who love the Lord talk. It's the natural thing to do. Jesus said it's the right thing to do. Shine your light. Talk about me. Make, make disciples. We talked about these things. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to share your story of how God has changed your life. Here's the thing. We, we all need to. That's the natural thing to do. But we've also have been trying to make the point that it is, kind of has a double meaning, that not only is it something that is a natural outcome of someone who loves the Lord to talk about him, but also that... It's probably best done, and it's not the only way to do it, but it's probably best done, and we tried to illustrate that a little bit here. We had some fun with it. That it's probably best done in a natural way. That we, when we share Jesus as authentically as we can, as honestly as we can, um, with as little pretense as possible, sometimes even out of our own struggles, it might have far more profound effect than we realize. The fact of the matter is, it's not like we ever have to have everything tightly you know, piece together in the story, in the way to say it precisely down. In fact, I'm not sure if in this day and age and in our cultural context right now 
that it might even be more important that what we share really is our story of how Christ has affected our lives and, and really made something beautiful come in areas. And we're not all there yet, but we're growing. We're getting better. And God's doing some amazing things. And when he's welcomed into a place, life comes. Light comes. I'm going to talk about that. What I'd like us to do is go back in time to the opening of the, the book of John, the fourth gospel. The fourth gospel, because it talks about the life of Christ, as you know. And in the first chapter, I want to look at the first words, the first disciples, the first actions of Jesus, the first week of his public ministry. And I want to glean some things from it. So if we can, let's look at John 1, verse uh, 35 to 37. I'm just going to start by reading that. It says, The following day John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And we told, we're told here that when John's two disciples heard this, that they followed Jesus. So, one, and by the way, the John that's being talked about here, and I think most of us know this, but not everybody does necessarily. The John that the book's named after is the Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus, the brother of James, who was someone who was amazingly transformed from a person of a fierce temper into what is, who became really the Apostle of love. And his gospel um, is dominated by the theme of love. At the same time, the John that's being referred to here at the beginning of the outset of this book is John the Baptist. That's the one who was the forerunner of Jesus. He, he said that he was going to baptize people in preparation for the coming of Messiah. And his message was, Messiah is coming, prepare your heart. And so he was known as John the Baptist. And, and, and he had accumulated or had acquired at this time a group of men who were following him, men and women. They were, he had, in other words, John had his own disciples. But when he saw Jesus, at that moment, he made a decision that this was something he had to do. He decides to step, step off center stage. And he says, it's time for me to move aside because there he is. There's the one. Everything that I've been saying, and see, there's always a temptation when you acquire power to keep it. One of the beautiful things about John is when it came his moment to step off, he gave it away. And he says to his two disciples, we're going to know one of their names in a moment. He says, there he is. That's the one you need to be following. It's time to let me go. It's time to follow him. And he points to Jesus. Look what happens here. It says that Jesus looks around and he saw them following. And he, and he asked this question. Look at the question. It's, in many ways, this is the supreme question a human being has to answer. He, says, he said to this question to the, to the two disciples that John had pointed to him. He says, what do you want? What are you looking for? Another version says, what are you seeking? Why are you coming after me? Jesus says. He asked, you know, many, and that's a great question. It's a supreme question. A lot of us need to ask that, answer that question because how we answer that question, what are we really looking for in life? That's like Jesus was saying, because I mean a lot of people. And one of the things is, what are you really looking for in life? What are you really pursuing? Why are you here? Why are we here? Some people are looking for power. Some people are looking for achievement. Some people are looking for the acquisition of knowledge, intellectual enlightenment, um, you know, I've met people, I, I've had interesting conversations along the way. I met one guy not too long ago who said that his life quest was to have experiences at um, amazing events all over the world. <clears throat> and he had the money to do it. And so he said, the sum of my life is basic. And that's what I was hearing, is the sum of my life is to experience things. I thought, wow, but that's, that's not what Jesus said is success. That's not what your life was for. Other people, it's the pursuit of pleasure. I don't know what it, look, you know what Jesus said the greatest thing you can ever do? is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love other people, to love the people he's placed into our lives and people around us with that love, to basically be able to embrace his son and let his son's love flow through us. Now, that, that's true success. 
um, everything else will be left behind. According to Jesus, the best investment is that which cannot be taken from us. It's true success. So anyway, Jesus says, what are you looking for? They say to him, look, Rabbi, teacher, look at their answer. Um, we're not looking for a quick answer. We're looking actually for a conversation. Where are you staying? That's what their, their question is. Where are you staying? We would like to sit with you a bit. Um, we would like to hear what it is you have to say. We would like to linger with you. Where are you staying? We don't want just a, a quick passing comment. We're looking to really engage you. We're serious about this. Jesus says this. Look what he says. He says, then come and see, he said. And it was about mm, four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And, <clears throat> and they remained with him actually for the rest of the day. But now we're told one of the names, again, of those disciples. It says Andrew. This Andrew is the one who is Simon Peter's brother. So Andrew was one of the two disciples that John had pointed to Jesus. And Andrew, who, by the way, will be, always be under the, Peter's shadow. When you look at the Bible, Peter is this kind of aggressive, um, boisterous, larger-than-life figure. He, he seems to be the guy who fills a room. When he comes in, he's blustering. He's, he's impetuous. That is, he just kind of goes by his feelings. He, he's reactive. Sometimes his throwing caution to the wind will get him into places where you just go, wow, man, that was so courageous. Other times, he'll do stuff that he will later regret deeply because he wasn't thinking about it. He was just reacting. Peter's this really intense guy, and he talks a lot. He asks a lot of questions. He becomes the, the, the basically the unofficial leader of the band of Jesus' disciples. But Andrew, his brother, is very different, not unlike a lot of us. And we can be, it's interesting. We, can be, you know, I have, we have four children in our family. Each one of them has a different personality. Even with some of us have been in, fam in our families, dynamics, you know, there's different personalities with different um, brothers and sisters. We, it's interesting, same parents, different personalities a lot of times. Peter and Andrew were very different. Andrew comes across far more quiet, far more behind the scenes. Peter was the first one to step up. He was a big, a big talker and a very fierce kind of physical guy. Andrew was not like that. He comes across as more kind, soft-spoken, willing to engage in smaller conversations. One of the things, though, that we recognize here is that there's never a Peter without an Andrew coming to Jesus. I mean, Andrew says, listen, he goes to his brother, and he, what does he say? He says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those men who heard what John said and then had followed Jesus. So Andrew went to find his brother Simon, and he told him, we have, listen, we have found Messiah. We have found the Christ. We found the one. John, John pointed him out. We found him. You got to meet him. That's what he's basically saying. You got to meet him. You got to meet him for yourself. And that sets up one of the most amazing first encounters recorded in the scriptures. I mean, we forget what this must have been like because it says here that Simon Peter's a lot meet him. And as he goes, again, he's called Simon. He's not even called Peter yet. His name is Simon. He comes, he's Simon. He's known as Simon, the son of John. He's Andrew's brother. And he goes to meet Jesus. And look what happens. The first interaction between Simon, later to be known as Peter, and Jesus is this. I can imagine, maybe Jesus, is, maybe Jesus is kneeling down, maybe he's sitting, I don't know how it goes, maybe he's standing, but before they greet one another, before a word is said by Peter to Jesus, it says, we're told here that, that Jesus, looking intently at Simon, not a word is said, he looks at him. And those eyes, the eyes, they penetrate right into him. It's, it's not just a superficial glance. It is a penetrating look. And Jesus looks into him and he says, before a word is exchanged, he says, I know you. You are Simon, son of John. But I am changing your name. Your name is Cephas. Your name is now Peter. That's the first exchange. 
I'm giving you a new name. See, when you give a person a name, you're making a claim. There's a statement. I, two things are going on there. First, he says, I know you. I know everything about you. And I know what you can become. And I'm calling you Peter. I'm calling you Cephas, which in the Greek is Peter, which means rock. I'm giving you a new name. Now, in the, in the Older Testament, particularly, new names were often given to, to signify a shift in a relationship with God. So that um, Ab- Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai, Sarah. Jacob, the supplanter, becomes Israel. There is another man, a wild man, a fanatic in the New Testament. He is a religious fanatic who is, who is intensely opposed to the way of Jesus. His name is Saul. He's from Tarsus. He's a, a Pharisee. He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. He is radically altered by that moment in that that meeting, and to the extent that he gets a new name, Saul becomes Paul. The same principle applies here. Jesus says, look, you are Simon, Simon, son of John, but I am giving you a new name now. Now it's your choice to receive what I've just said. And in a way, we're going to talk about this. There was a critical moment there. Jesus says, I'm giving you a new name, because in that new, new name, there is a shift happening in your life. Now, that's the, that's the exchange. We're going to come back to it in a moment, but let's continue on because there's one more incident that occurs. Look at it here. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and he said to him, come and follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and he was, it was, which was Andrew's and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel, who was his friend. Nathaniel is sometimes referred to as Bartholomew as well. And Nathaniel, Philip's friend, um, they had an exchange, and Philip tells him, he says, look, listen to me, and you can tell that they've been talking about this before, but Nathaniel, his, the Philip's friends, he, he, Philip says to him, listen, we have, you're not going to believe what's happened. I'm going I'm to just kind of sit with this for a bit. You're not going to believe what's happened. We have found the very person that Moses and the prophets have written about and foretold. What John was said was coming. It has happened right now. We have found him. He is here. Messiah has come. Nathaniel, you've got to meet him. That's what he's saying. He's very enthusiastic in his response. And then what happens is Nathaniel, who is revealed as mm, not just a skeptic, he's a cynical skeptic. Because what he basically says is, what did you, because Philip says, I'll tell you who he is. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And all Nathaniel hears is, did you say Nazareth? That one donkey town, Nazareth? <laughs> that town? Are you, are you crazy? Are you off your rocker? Do you understand? Look, Nazareth had a reputation. It was known as a small town. It, it was actually known for its vice because it had a Roman outpost there. And that outpost was known for a place that um, stuff happened. And so Nazareth had kind of got the reputation as a place that was, you know, not of high repute. So the idea, so when his response is, uh, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Are you serious, Phil? What has gotten into you? There is nothing, the Messiah is coming from now. Is that what you're saying now? Come on, get a hold of yourself. There is nothing good that comes out of it. No Messiah is coming from Nazareth. And you know what Philip says? I'm not, basically, I'm not going to engage. It's the best, one of the best answers ever. I'm not going to engage you in a debate. Listen, come and see for yourself. Come with me. You meet him. You meet him, and then you tell me what you think. Come and see. It's the great invite. Do you know what? Before the day is done, there's a stunning exchange. You can maybe go back and reread it. It's an amazing exchange that occurs in John 1. 
But there's this interaction between Jesus and Nathaniel, between the cynic who's reluctant, the skeptic, and all of a sudden Jesus and him just kind of go at it. Before it's done, this skeptic has dropped his guard and he's now joined the Jesus team. I mean, it's pretty interesting to watch it happen because he says, I'm in. If you can read me like that, I'm in. This is beautiful. Now, what is this for us? A couple of things. I kind of want to put on the board. I want us to think about it as we head into the summer, but also into this week. Let's take this text. We just looked at it. Let's wrestle with it a bit. Firstly, let me suggest something, you guys. For all of us, this is great. And this is the first, I'll just kind of put this as number one, but let's remember that Jesus knows not only who we are, but he knows who we can be. And I go back to Peter on this one. I go back to it because it's that moment. It's like Jesus really does know us better than we know ourselves. I mean, he says to Peter, I know you. I know you, but I also know what you can be. And I call you into your future. I call a name over you. I call a name over your life. And in a way, it's like, if you can hear me, it's like Jesus has a name for every one of us. He, he really does. I mean, he sees us in raw form, but he knows what we can become if we will let him shape us and grow us and form us. Listen, if we will submit to what he says we are to be, because that's the key there, by the way. Peter has to decide, Simon has to decide to embrace that word. He has to decide that he will embrace that name that is being spoken over him. It's a choice. It's, in a way, it's a choice that you and I must make. We also have to choose, will we accept the word that he's speaking into our lives. Because I'm convinced that when we come to him, he has a theme to speak over our lives. It's like, and sometimes it's a life theme. In Peter's case, it was. I will now call you a rock. I will build on you, my friend. You are about to learn things about yourself. and about, You know what? You and I are going on an adventure. And that adventure is going to be a discovery of who I want you to be and who you really are. And it's going to involve, he didn't know it at the time, great pain. And Peter's character was going to be reformed. And he was going to experience a devastating failure. And he was going to shake his confidence as a man. And yet God was going to reform him. And, and really, this, the way of Christ was to shape his character out of the context of his overconfidence into something that could be used as a platform for other people to live out of. It's a beautiful thing. But this is, this is years down the road. Jesus is already saying, I give you, look at me. I know you, and I know what you can become. And in a way, the Lord has a song, a name, a theme that he wants to sing over all of our lives. It's almost like we get to decide how much we want to embrace this seasonal calling that he has for us. Who does he want us to be at this season of our life? What is the theme, the overarching theme? What would it look like if we were really growing with God, and what would representing his heart uniquely as we are look like? You know, one of the things I was reminded of, and some of you probably have seen it, Michelangelo has these, um, you know, you, you, if you've ever seen Michelangelo's work, you think of the David. It's just stunning. It's, it really is. I mean, you look at it, you go, oh, this is, this is like, this is a masterpiece of art. I mean, it's, it's phenomenally done. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. And some of Michelangelo's artwork is, is stunning. You see the David, it's stunning. It's awe-inspiring. But then there's another part of his collection where you see other interesting things because he sculpted it out of marble. And one of the things that you notice when you see other, there, there's a whole collection of Michelangelo's works where they're not completed. You've got people who are essentially stuck in a block and they're half, half out. So you see a piece of a man or a piece of a woman, but you don't see them completed. 
And he would say that he, when he sculpted, he was, he was releasing the prisoner. In other words, he was setting free what was inside. He wasn't just creating, he was letting go what was in there. That was how he saw his art. He was releasing that, that person out of the marble. And in some of those halfway done ones, you see it, you go, whoa, I can see it. It's like he's coming, he's coming out. And in a lot of ways, it's like, it's like what God's trying to do in our lives. I mean, there are, there are things that he is trying to chisel away in us. This is what he was doing with Peter. I call you, Peter. You are the rock. And it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on you. And you are going to find yourself in a way you've never known yourself. You think you know who you are, but I know who you are. And it's like God's saying the same thing to you and me. He's working on us. He's working on us. And sometimes, sometimes it's an easy thing and a big chunk falls off. And it's like big breakthrough in our life when God really works in our life. And there's other times where, boy, it's like we're stuck in there. And it's really hard. And we learn the grace of God. And we learn what it's like to fail. And we learn what it's like to grow. And we're struggling also to get out. And God's working on us. He's a beautiful image. He knows what we can become. And I'm telling you, every season of our life has a unique, a unique thing that God's trying to create in us. He's, he's the master artist. You see it? But the key is this. Will we submit? What I mean, will we embrace what he wants to do in us? He is trying to reform character. He's trying to break some of us free from habits. He's trying to give us the ability to love in ways we haven't been able to do because of whatever insecurities or pains we've been carrying. He's about setting free. He's about bringing life. He whom the Son sets free is free. I mean, it is about this way, this way of Jesus, an amazing way. But this brings us back to the other piece here, which is this. Not only does he care about who we are becoming, but I also think he cares about a lot of other, other things as well. And certainly one of the things Jesus cares about here is other people. And I want to suggest that, and this, we'll just call this our second piece here, is that he wants all of us to be known, just like Andrew was known and Philip was known, for bringing people to Jesus. And so it's not just about me, it's also about us touching other people with the love of Christ. And this is a big part of what we've been looking at. Hear me out now. Um, every time Andrew is mentioned, you remember he mentioned Andrew's not this great guy. He doesn't turn out to be the great leader. He doesn't become part of the senior leadership team of Jesus. He's not part of the inner circle. But you know one of the most amazing things about Andrew? It's so cool. Every time we see him in the scriptures talked about in any extensive way, he's described as bringing somebody to meet Jesus. It's really, the first time it's mentioned is in John 1, where he says, listen to Peter. Peter, you've got to come and meet him. You've got to meet him for yourself. And he brings, he brings Simon over and to meet Jesus. Peter begins because Andrew brings him. There's another example in John 6 where, uh, where Andrew somehow or another gets in this conversation with this, this boy. And Jesus has been in the middle of teaching and the long day has gone on and they don't have any food to feed the people with. But Andrew's been having this conversation and this boy hears the about the fact that there's, they don't have enough meal. He says, well, you, you can have my lunch. And Andrew says, well, let's go bring it to Jesus. And so Andrew and the little guy go to meet Jesus. And you know what ends up happening by that? One of the most amazing miracles occurs that day. The great feeding of the multitudes by Jesus begins because somewhere or another, Andrew got into a conversation with a little lad, a little boy, and led him to meet Jesus. And one of Andrew's questions was, ah, I found a kid, he's got some bread and he's got some loaves, but what are they among so many? Well, you're going to find out. Watch, watch this. Andrew the third time Andrew's mentioned in, in John 12, he's bringing a group of Greek philosophers, Greek thinkers, inquirers from Greece to talk with Jesus. Every time we see him, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You know what? Some of us, we underestimate the impact that we can have for Jesus. 
We really do. There are people that are waiting to have conversations with us. There are people that we can talk to, we can share our story with. It doesn't mean we got everything down, but we can talk about the difference Christ is beginning to make in our lives. You know, sometimes it's just being open to talking about Jesus. Sometimes it might be helpful to be able to say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come and, and, and check out the church? You can come and see, listen for God. Listen to, you can learn a lot. And you know what else? I think you're going to feel the presence of the Lord in a unique way. I'd love to bring you. It's simple. It, it, whether it's a conversation, whether it's bringing someone along, I'm saying is that Andrew models for us this, this openness to just being able to, he, without, with Andrew, because of Andrew, we, never, we have a Peter. There's no Peter without Andrew. There, there's a miracle that occurs because Andrew was just willing to talk to somebody. It's, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. All, then that leads me to this third piece, which is this. Do you know that most people come to Jesus because of a relation, relational context, out of a relational context, um, or in that context, that they came because another person invited them. Now look at the tech, look at what we just read. This is the beginning of the Bible. This is the first movement of the ministry of Jesus, really, in this way, in the New Testament, right? And what do we see? We see that the core of Jesus' disciples are, are formed because people were pointing, watch what was happening relationally, starting with John. John starts out, who is John to the two disciples? He is a, just stay with me, he is a trusted mentor. He is someone who they respect and believe in. And so when John says, you need to go check Jesus out, you need to follow him, you know what they do? Oh, we'll do that. We will. Because we trust you. Your opinion matters to us. The first people to be pointed to Jesus were pointed to Jesus because of a trusted one, a mentor. Who is this? What happens with Andrew? Who is he to Peter? He is my brother. Someone I love and trust. A, my, his brother says to him, listen, you need to meet Jesus. You need to come and, and, and meet him. And what is number three? What is Nathaniel? What is the relationship between Philip and Nathaniel? They're friends. They trust each other. They like each other. They believe in each other. They share similar, um, you know, a similar quest in a context the same in their life. Their, their social life is the same. So when Philip says, listen, I know, and initially Nathaniel's like going, there's no way Jesus, this Jesus is, is who you can say he is. But he's willing to go. Why? Because that's his friend. And his friend is saying, can you come with me to go see? And you know what he does? He says, I'll do it because of you. Look at it. A mentor, a brother, a friend. The way in which this, the whole thing starts off is because people Trusted relational context. See it? A trusted mentor, a trusted brother, a trusted friend, all in were willing to point someone to Jesus, and they came. And what happened because of it was an amazing change that occurs. I'm saying that's how, and such is the kingdom. It, sometimes things happen, they're cold calls, um, stories that I hear at times, you know, as someone was listening to this program, someone met someone handing out a Those things happen. But most people come to know Jesus. Most of us did because someone we trusted pointed us towards him and brought us, with, brought us to him. And even the people who maybe who have had an influence in our life, some of us grew up in homes where Jesus was welcomed into that environment. But even that place was affected by somebody who at some point was willing to be a, a toucher and a bringer. You see what I'm saying? We're all interconnected to people. And if no one, okay, and this will, and this will be the last thing I'll say then, that the, the sharing flows best out of a life that is shining and aligning, that is really seeking to live, a, 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 to pursue a biblically informed life. Okay, here's what I mean by that. 
Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. In, John, in, in Matthew 5, he said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples. He basically started talking about it. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So seek to live a good life. Be a man or a woman who seeks to live a good life, but then that good life, the quality of that life, will then have an effect on other people that will cause them to be irresistibly drawn towards God. And so that the way we, people who claim to love him, are living has an effect on people's opinions of God. And so here's the deal. It is important that we're seeking to live a consistent life, that we're trying to live a growing life. But you know what? We're trying to be more and more aligned. So there's not a lot of distance between what we say we believe and how we're living. And we're, we're challenging ourselves. We're training with others who are wanting to grow. We're on a growing path. It's important that we're not just giving ourselves easy outs on things, but we're saying, Lord, I want to do your will. I want, I want to be open to your touch. I want you to go ahead. You have permission to give me a new name. You have permission to, 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 to chisel around there, Lord, and keep working on me until that thing gets out of there and I can become more of what you want me to be because I'm emerging. I'm coming into, I am your, we all are. He says, you are, my, you are my masterpieces. You are my workmanship. We are the workmanship of Christ. And at some level, he's trying to work in us. He's trying to work things into us, work things out of us. And, and, and here's the thing, people, people obviously need to see some degree of consistency in our life, but you know what? There's only been one who's been truly, fully, fully aligned. And what I mean by that is, we're all aligning at best. But there is one who is fully aligned, and there was no distance between his words and his deeds. His life had authority purely at multiple levels, and at least part of it at a human level was because there was no distance between his actions and his words. It was, it was power. And the Lord wants us to be that way. Not, but here's the thing. I've heard people say, and just stay with me, I've heard people say, well, you know what? I'm just going to kind of live it. And it's good to live it. <laughs> we all need to, but it's, I'm not going to talk. And I'm saying, but you know what? Okay, here's the problem. I get that, but it's not one or the other. It's both and. It's like how sometimes people need to hear us step up and speak that we love him and that he's made a difference. Here's what's happened in my life. This is the good news. Um, um, listen, how are they going to know if people who love him don't talk about him? And it, sometimes it's because it's like, well, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be misunderstood. There's a lot of stuff being said. We don't want to be someone who's, you know, just kind of like pushing things. And I get that. But you know what? There's still, we're beginning to be simultaneously seeking to live a life that more and more looks like Christ and letting the master sculptor and, and chisel away at us till what we are meant to be begins to emerge with greater clarity, living more and more in alignment, challenging ourselves internally behind the scenes because what's in private will show up in public. It does. And, and really going after this thing in a right way. Lord, grow me, work on me, change me. Let me know my song. Work in my life. Show me your ways. This is a great discovery finding new things in you. But also, Lord, remind me that you have set up divine appointments. Oftentimes, what we would underestimate is a small conversation can alter history. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like talking about grand. I'm talking about people's lives spiritually for generations can be affected by one conversation that somebody was willing to have. And, and you know what? We say, well, that, you don't, we don't know when that thing is happening. It's like God set something up 
And we're, we're in it. We're listening for his voice. And when the door opens, we, we speak. Life flows. It hits. All of a sudden, a whole line of people that would have never known the Lord are affected. It's, it starts to go down. People, not even born yet, affected. Affected because one person was willing to talk and share their heart uh, in an, on an honest, humble, sincere, real way about their love of Christ. And it's made a huge difference. A huge difference. This is what it's about. This is how it works. It's part of a great story. I pray that we would be part of the great adventure. That we're not just moving through life, but we're saying, Lord, I'm open. I'm open. Keep forming me. Keep working on me. If I fall, let me get back up. I know it. I know it. I know you, I know you got a plan for me. But at the same time, Lord, let me be open to talking about you because I don't want to be ashamed of you. I love you. I love you. You changed my life. I'll talk about you. Not ashamed. God's not asking us to die. There are people out in parts of this world right now that talk about Jesus can cost them everything that we think of as being their own, they're not just proper people, their lives. God don't ask anybody to die. Can we talk about them? Lord, Lord I want to um, ask you to uh, just, just keep, you know, again, Lord, I'm, not trying to, uh, I'm just trying to remind all of us of this great opportunity we've been given. And you're the master. You're the, you're the one that we look to. You know who we are. You know what we can be. I pray you keep working on us, Lord. Keep chiseling away. Um, help us, Lord, not to give up on ourselves, give up on breakthrough in our lives, Lord. I know sometimes some of us are really frustrated. We just, we just feel bound up that we're never going to really get free of some things. And I pray that you, who are the great liberator, would just be welcomed in and that you would do amazing things in our lives, Lord. And I pray that we would not be afraid to share our story of the goodness and the grace of God. It's, 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 a, it's a great story. It's the best news ever. And I know, Lord, there's a lot of things being said about you. Your reputation, <laughs> it's, it's always vulnerable to people misrepresenting it. But, Lord, help those of us who would love you um, to humbly, sensitively, but courageously be open to talking about you. I pray that we would not be ashamed of the one we love, the one who's made such a difference. Help us, Lord. Some of us, maybe it's not even just talking. Some of us just writing something on our on our page, on our Facebook, Lord, just making a statement that we love you. It can make a huge difference. Let us not underestimate small things. Without Andrew, there is no Peter. Without Philip, there is no Nathaniel. Lord, I just pray, I pray that you help us to be part of an ongoing story that will live beyond even our life in this world, far beyond. I pray that you bless these closing minutes, bless this closing song that is designed to connect right with where we've been. And I pray that you bless our time of giving. May we honor you together as a people in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God. Let it be.